everybody, and welcome back to Idle Thoughts. Hello there. Hello. You are all our lovely Patreon subscribers. Thank you very much. We really do appreciate what you do. So here is another ramble from us about things <laughs> we've been playing lately. Shall I kick it off? Yeah, yeah, you kick it off. We said we'd talk about it, and I don't think we can do this without talking about it. So um, I've been playing a lot of Keyforge. Um, like like a lot. Never heard of it. <laughs> it's this new little indie game from um, this Scottish startup. All right, who, who's uh, who, who's publishing it? No, um, it's obviously the new hotness, if you want to call it that. Um, it really fan- is. Fantasy Flight's new unique deck game. It's all good fun. We've all been playing it. We've all been getting a little bit into it. Um, we have indeed. And I really, <laughs> I really, really like it. Yeah, I've been really enjoying it a lot. I've got a rev- I'm in the middle of writing a review right now, actually, that'll probably go up on the site uh, tomorrow, which is the fourth of December. So by the time this cast goes out, that'll be up. And yeah, it's just it's just really good fun. Yeah, you like it? No, it's all right. Oh, controversial. Controversial <laughs> opinions. Oh no, no! How dare I give a less than glowing <laughs> response to it? I think Jamie's the person who's played it the least out of all of us. Yeah, I've played three games. Yeah, but um, have four decks. Help me. <laughs> um, what my favorite thing about sorry. <coughs> oh, my Sam is overwhelmed with Keyforge. <coughs> He's got amber in the lungs. I do. Been mining too deep. Um, what I really, really like about it is the fact that I've played so much of this. I've played a lot of it so far. And pretty much all my time spent in that game, if you will, if you will, is actually playing the game. Yeah, like, as opposed I, I, to thinking about the meta deck building, that kind of thing, the sort of stuff that usually comes with a competitive card game of this nature, something yeah. like Netrunner or Destiny or something of that ilk. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Sam. It's, it's something I've raised in the uh, review. Is like it's got me excited for tournaments again because you I don't, don't need to think about the meta. I don't need to pay yeah. attention really to that. I could just turn up, pay my due, get a deck, play. Are you sure you don't need to pay attention to the meta? Because have you seen the eBay listings that people have been selling cards? That's for? nothing. That's nothing to do with the meta. Like no, straight I know, up. No, I know it is. No, it is. It's early meta. I don't know. I think. Well, I think we can talk about this. So this yeah. is like kind of four horseman decks and things like that. Yeah. And yeah. I think at the moment things that are going for big money are just this has got loads of rares and mavericks in it, and it's like, well, that doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. Like the rares that I've seen are pretty good a lot of the time, but I found they're extremely situational. Um, one me and you, Jamie, have is the um, Kalefi Dragon from the Brobnar faction. Yes. And I've I've played a deck with that in it a couple of times, and I think I've I've got that I've got that creature out once because of its requirements. Yeah. Uh, for those of you that don't know, the, the the dragon will only be able to be played if you have seven amber sitting in your little pile. Yeah, and, you know, and, and that's... You know, depending on your deck, it might be kind of hard to get amber. Yeah, it's, it's not necessarily the hardest thing to do, but it's still a requirement that you have to fulfill, and it's, you know, very situational. Um, and that's the same with a lot of the other kind of super rares. Pit Lord is one we were chatting about before this. It's a discard. And when you play it, you know, it's a very strong, powerful creature, but you have to choose this as your faction from then on whilst it's in play, which can severely limit you as a player. So fair enough, those rares 
are out there. They're good. People are obviously paying big money for them. But it's kind of, well, are they really the power cards? You know, if they're extremely situational, how often am I going to actually get them to trigger all of these things? You know, how worth it are they in my deck? Something you've been really enjoying is Bad Penny, which is a common in Shadows. And you've been getting some really nice combos from it and winning some games. So I think... Bad Penny has a strength uh, of one, and when her special rule is when she is destroyed, you put her back in your hand. So you can do some loads of really cool chains with killing her, bringing her out again, and gaining amber from various other cards you might have in play. Yeah. but I mean, yeah, it's like rares in other card games. Yeah, you sort of, you sort of build around that, like, yeah. I mean, I haven't played a game with rares in it for a long time. Like Magic so the Gathering, like, for example, I yeah, think it, it's... It, it's pretty much assumed that your deck has a number of rares and mythics in it to make up kind of the backbone of that deck. Or the what Pokemon trade. But the then it has supporting card. Yeah, but then it has supporting cards around it. Yeah. And the thing with rares in this game is, yeah, you might have that rare in your deck, but do you have the cards to support it? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. It's hard to tell. Like some rares, some cards do pull on others. So like the horseman cards that have been going around. Uh, one of the horsemen is the card that the algorithm actually puts in the deck. Yes. And then the other three are pulled in by the rest of the algorithm. So yeah, you yeah. always oh, will okay. get the four All horsemen. Four. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I played against the four horsemen deck the other day and I won. Okay, cool. And they are they are good, but I don't think they're like super crazy powerful. There's a lot to work with. Like there's a lot of just complete board wipes in this game and they're very weak to that. Um, yeah. I think Meta, guy... Meta's broken. Ian beat a four horseman deck. <laughs> uh... but this, is, this is what I'm getting at. I think in terms of like looking at a secondary market to see what the meta is, I think, you know, we're in the first month of the game. That's not really going to no show you much. After the first tournament and, and when the tournament stats go live on the Keyforge app and the Keyforge yeah. site, when we can start seeing, okay, cards, decks with these kind of cards or this house or whatever are winning more, that's when we can kind of start to see, okay, well, maybe I want to take a deck that can counter X, Y, or Z, or, or whatever it might be, you know? Yeah, and I think that's where the game might start to run into problems if we get to a point where there are, like, okay, decks with this card are winning tournaments, or decks with a particular combo are winning tournaments, and then it becomes a money thing of, like, people buying those decks. If Fantasy Flight don't pay attention to that and don't regulate that somehow, I think that could be a real problem. Because one of the real key things that I love about the game is how accessible it is. Like I said earlier, you can just turn yeah. up to a tournament yeah, yeah. with some tokens, uh, buy a deck and play. And then and then stop thinking about it after that. That's great. I th- I'd, like to, I'd like to echo you slightly there, Ian, and go, as I've said many times before, I think the reason that I've been interested in Keyforge, the reason that I have got four decks sitting on my shelf is that I don't need to spend a hundred quid on several hundred cards and I'll make maybe two decks out of it and the rest yeah. of them I'll never use again. The fact yeah, is I it. can just go, I've got a pre-prepared deck. Right, okay, which one am I going to play? I'm going to play this one. Okay, here we go. Let's play it. Yeah, And I and know the, the deck strengths and weaknesses and I can practice with my deck. And I, yeah, if I have a bomb deck, you know, I'm stuck with that. Fine. I've kind of made my peace with that slightly. I'm still not 100% sure with it. But... I know what I can do and what I can't do. Yeah, but going back to my original point, it's like a game that I've also played a lot of this year is Arkham Horror, the card game. 
And that's something where before playing, you do spend a lot of time kind of looking at, okay, what can certain investigators do? You might look at some forums to see what people have done in the past. Maybe, you know, what difficulty are you going to play at? That depends on what you put in your deck, how you how you treat that investigator. And then you've got to build the deck. You've got to think about, okay, what kind of archetype of of investigator do I want this to be? Do I, What do I want them to be able to do? Are you playing one, two, three, four players? Because that changes what you're going to put in your deck as well. Who you're going to play as. And there's a lot of kind of pre-game uh, rambling around, just doing a lot of stuff. Whereas in Keyforge, it's like, I just walk up with, I get a deck. And that's, that's all I need to do. I can't change that. There's no more prep needed. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, we've talked in the podcast before about community games, and there's another sort of style, like another sort of slight element to that, where you've got these lifestyle games, effectively, things like Netrunner, Arkham Horror, that kind of thing, where you do spend time basically outside of the game, working on the game. But yeah, Um, like you say, with Keyforge, you just rock up and play, and that's really nice, that that just that instant thing of being able to just play a game. Yeah, and it's the kind of idea that you can read on forums, and you can read what other people are doing, but that you can't really do much with that information because you're working with your decks. You know, you can kind of think about, okay, how does my deck fit into that? What can I do to counter those things that people are saying are winning at the moment? But there's not really any kind of strong strategy you can put into it other than, right, I just need to learn the game and learn what my deck can do and the, yeah. the, the quickest way that I can win. Okay. I'm, st- I'm still loving, like, playing against decks and, and seeing new cards. One of the things I'm trying not to do is like basically read an entire card list same yeah. I, I occasionally see a card uh, like i'm on a couple of forums so i occasionally see a card i haven't seen before but it's really nice to be able to just play a game and be yeah. surprised by cards and and see new things and then figure out how how to work around them and that's really cool that, that element of discovery is, is yeah fantastic. no i i reckon i've seen about half of the cards yeah that's probably about right but you know i i keep kind of flicking through reddit and i see a piece of artwork that i've never seen and i'll just scroll past it because i don't want to read what that does yeah um and i i like that maybe when they announce the new set i might have a look at i don't know yet depends how that new set works you know no one knows what expansion is going to look like or how they're going to handle it is it going to be a mix of old and new cards is it going to be a completely new set that'll be a really interesting moment in the evolution of the game when they when they announce that will it will it stop sales of the previous set because obviously they don't want to do that because it'll be a while between announcement and release and yes yeah. uh, no one really knows what that looks like at the moment but no that's what i've been really enjoying lately played a lot of games of it um we need to get more games in between the three of us yeah absolutely i know it's a bit harder for me being on the other side of the country but we will make it work yeah maybe I'm using sure things like the crucible online and stuff you know um, yeah little unofficial yeah. online platform check it out you can put your own decks into it it's quite nice yeah you can now and apparently it works quite nicely. Um, that's yeah, me. basically, yeah, if you, if, yeah, we, we all love Keyforge. If you're looking for like a really low accessible game, good stocking filler as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really low low accessibility game, really easy to teach. Um, yeah, give it a go, see what you think. Like It's like yeah. 20 quid to get into it. Yes, I've been dipping my toe into the Keyforge pool, but I've also uh, been playing a little bit of Scrawl recently. Nice. Uh, love Scrawl. Listen to the main podcast i was at the press night for the lucky sparrow gaming cafe on pollock shores road if you're listening hello guys and we got an eight player game of scroll going scroll is by big potato games and the best way to describe it is pictionary meets chinese whispers 
You are given and a card with a description on it, for example, raised by squirrels. And you have a dry whiteboard and a little marker pen. You then draw as best you can. <laughs> That's the impetus. Uh, for example, raised by squirrels. You then take a little card with a dry white side on it. Clip that over your drawing. Pass it to the next person. That person then has to look at your drawing and write what they think the word might, the phrase might be. They then put a clip over that. Pass it over to the next person who draws what they think is their equivalent of what the person before you wrote, and so on and so forth. It is almost impossible for it not to descend into some sort of rude, d naughty spiral of filth, and yet it's absolutely hilarious. It is great. I love Scroll. I played at Tabletop Cafe when it still existed um, in Edinburgh, and yeah, it's just oh my god, it's such such good fun from Big Potato Games as well. Yes, um, and they produce they produce a lot of fun sort of party games. Some, uh, really, some of them are really really good. Yeah, some really some really nice stuff. I think Scroll is a standout from it. Yeah, I think for me, Scroll Scroll tops the list. It's just one of the best party games I think I've played in recent years. I it really like Clickbait. Jamie and I played Clickbait. At Expo yes, last I remember year. that. Was that the oh, no, sorry, dice one? Yes, yeah, that's, Reiner, that's the Reiner Knizia designed one. Bizarrely, yes. I yeah, that, that sounded that sounded cool. Yeah, I, it is good fun. Uh, I have a couple of criticisms of the game, and actually, they're not criticism. Well, one of them is a criticism of the game, and one of them is more a criticism of components. And my criticism of the components is similar to my criticism of Captain Sonar components is that the marker pens run out very easily but when it's those small yeah. ones it's unavoidable sadly i think for the for the copy we were playing at, at the cafe back a few years ago we went out didn't we and we bought some more no, higher quality pens. i'll tell you when it was it was international tabletop day so it was march or april and we were about to pick up open scroll and we went the marker pens aren't going so my girlfriend went from off to Tabletop Ryman's Cafe in Edinburgh like to the nearest budget store. Yeah. Yeah. And basically on, for about five, ten minutes was texting us going, I can't find pens, I can't find pens, I have found pens, I'm on the way. So that's 20 minutes of us sitting there and then we got it. It's great. But school is fantastic. You know, I don't think I've ever had really a bad game no, of it. No, I've not had a bad game. Some are more eventful than others. Um, and I think it really does lend itself to bigger groups. Um, yeah. As big a group you can get it. It says it plays four to eight people, and I would definitely say the the more people the better. Just yeah, for I think it plays five things. or six to eight. Really, four you're not going to get much craziness evolving, yeah. but eight players is is glorious. My um, and there's no reason why you couldn't really build it yourself. No, and exactly. Play with more, My other criticism honest. is for the card content and. The game markets itself as, I believe, 17+, plus because a lot of the subjects in the cards are quite adult. And by that, I don't mean adult as in a fog of love adult. I mean as a Christmas deliberately dildo. rude and naughty. I think if they, if they maybe produced some card packs that were maybe either more kid-friendly, more family-friendly, or maybe more sort of genre friend different, yeah, um, like... that might be quite nice and would open it to a bit of a wider... A wider market potentially, but I can see why they're yeah. going for the seventeen plus. Yeah, I think obviously personally, none of none of us are like personally bothered by the content of the game. It's just I, I suppose it's how much they could, how much more they could be doing with the game if they made it a bit more friendly, friendly, and it could yeah. Scroll yeah. is the kind of game that I would want to take to my family for Christmas. 
but I know I I I know my I know my mum I think would be a bit I don't know, but my aunt definitely would not be on board with some of the more risque things. So I think yeah, I'd like to see it'd be nice to see a family friendly card pack or something released for it. That that'd be really cool little expansion they could do. They could they could play with your family. That'd be really good thing to do and pretty cheap to produce as well. Exactly, it's not. Not too hard. But yeah, I've been playing Scroll. Um, and also, if you listen to the last Idle Thoughts, you know I was on a GMT binge. Uh, and I mentioned Sekigahara. Now, Sekigahara has arrived, and I've played it. And I'm going to talk very quickly about Sekigahara. Um, I really like it. It's the final... Nice. It's the little background. It is the Sekigahara is the final battle in the Sengoku Jidai, which was the Warring States period of Japan when Tokugawa Ieyasu established himself as Shogun and established the Tokugawa Shogunate. The final battle, uh, the game is set basically on the central island of Japan, Honshu, and is two-player game. One person plays the forces of Tokugawa Ieyasu, the other person plays the forces of Ishida Mitsunari, who is uh, was, a, was a contender. It's a area control block-based war game. But the thing I really enjoy about it is you can see how many blocks your opponent has, but you can't see the composition of the forces on it, those blocks. So, so blo- uh, when you when you say block, is that kind of just your unit? Uh, yeah, block representation. Like you, it it, it is a, a wooden block, and it'll have a sticker on one side. The only you can see that shows what clan it's from, how many of it, how many of its senses. Usually about one to three. And then it might okay. have a secret or a special symbol or even be a leader. Now, only you can see what your forces are, but your opponent can see, oh, they've got a four-block army. That could be, you know, equivalent of one leader and six troops, or it could be 12 troops by themselves moving about. It's a nice yeah. kind of fog of war-esque style to it. Um not a fog of love esque. Not fog of love esque. That would be very different. Uh, and I mean, you could do a fog of love game based in that period. Yeah, you could just narrate as if that. If you're listening, um, yeah, it could be Askeoff, designer of Fog of Love. Uh, first of all, I'd, we love I'd your really game. Like... Second of all, there you go. That's an idea. I'd really like to see a fog of love style, but it's um, the Twilight Struggle forces. Twilight. Str- so one of. One of you plays is the US and the other plays is the USSR. I don't know. What about the um, making of a Cold president? Cold War and... What about making of a president? Kind of... One person is Kennedy and one person is Nixon and they've got to have a crazy, entangled relationship. Well, there's no reason why you cannot do that no, I know. in your game to fall No, that's true. <laughs> that's, that's, that's very true. But yes, I, I rather enjoy it. Combat is very nice and there's no dice. It's all card-based. So you have a hand of cards with different clan mons or symbols on them and when you get to battle each mon will activate one block and yeah I, i've i've only had got the chance to play it once because again it is a three-hour war game um yeah but it's shot up my estimation list it looks gorgeous nice i yeah i think it's shot up my favorites i i will gush about this for a wee while longer and i know ian cool. you've been kind of interested in it yeah uh, but yeah, I'd be, we... interested, I'd be interested to play a few more war games because I don't. It's not a genre I really play at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it'd be, yeah, it'd be good. And GMT are basically the masters of it, so it would be good to play some of their games and sort of form an opinion on on their output and exactly how they make games. I'll make my usual uh, complaint about GMT rulebooks in that they're fantastic for you know they'll explain what to do, but it is 
it's a bare rule book. You know, it's it leaps straight into the jargon. You kind of go, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's roll back a bit, right? What is this? What is this? And it's 20 pages, 12 of which are explaining the rules, six of which are historical notes for the actual battle and the campaign, and the last two are designer notes. Wow. Yeah. And it's A4 as well. Oofed. Yeah. So that's what I've been playing mostly recently. Cool. Well, I was going to talk about roleplayer, but then I realized that we'd have talked about that on the last Idle Thoughts. So in that, instead, I'm going to talk about roleplaying, and I've been running D&D for the last little while. Oh. Uh, I've been running Out of the Abyss for my local, uh, my regular cool. group, um, a six-player D&D game, which is a little bit more than I'm used to taking. It's quite, a, it's, quite a lot, it's quite a lot of players. But yeah, it's been really good fun. D&D 5th is actually a really good version of Dungeons & Dragons. I, I was a big fan of 4th. 4th was very, very different. Oh, that's very controversial for a lot of people, Ian. Yeah, a lot of people hated 4th because it was so, so different. But I really liked 4th for its more interesting tactical play uh, and actually having a sort of like an actual combat system you could get your teeth into and actually and actually manipulate. 5th is much more a callback to older versions of D&D, but with a lot of the rough edges um, shaved off. So you've got things like advantage and disadvantage in there where uh, you... I mean, there's a lot of rules in D. There's generally a lot of rules in D and D, but the advantage and disadvantage basically allows the GM to make a call on a particular situation about whether you roll two D two D twenties and choose the highest, or two D twenties and choose the lowest in a particular situation. So it's a really nice, simple, quick yeah. thing to be able to do. Uh, there's still a lot of like you can do a lot of your min maxing and that kind of thing. There's a lot of character choice and race choice in, in there. Uh, I've I've come across an interesting thing where the out of the abyss says you should be this level by this particular time and etc etc i found it a lot easier to just give the players levels every now and again it depends on the style you're running because yeah the i think the the dm the dungeon master's guide does talk a little about you can it can be the story plot plot kind of level based or you can do the classic xp for this xp for this and i think it's entirely dependent and that's kind of nice that the game has gone no you don't have to stick to one style or the other it's you choose well, it's just all, also the experience that gets given out during Out of the Abyss kind of implies that they'll go everywhere in the first sort of half of it, and we're not really going that direction. It, it, it feels it feels quite railroady Out of the Abyss, and it's not very well written in places. I think I think it's nice with players just in general that they don't have to necessarily focus on oh I haven't got this much XP, but you have, and. Yeah, Pe- people are going to level at the same pace that way, yeah. which yeah. is nice. And they don't necessarily know when they're going to do it either. Like you can just say no. after a major event, you 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 will level up, and I think that's so much nicer to kind of think about, isn't it? Yeah, it's good to give players new toys on a regular basis as well. Something it's, to exactly something new to think about in their character. And yeah, yeah, it's it's been really good. I mean, we'll probably I'm hoping to wrap that up before. Uh, well, I'm homing to wrap up the first half of it before Christmas. Uh, or thereabouts, and then I might go and run some Scum and Villainy. Nice. Which I've started to read through. So Scum and Villainy is the Blades in the Dark sort of sci-fi hack that came out last year. It's been in sort of beta for a little while, but it's finally been released. And it's really quite good. Like, there's some nice little changes in it from Blades. So, like, rather than a gang, you have a ship, and your like your gang sheet in Blades now becomes your ship sheet in uh, your ship sheet in <laughs> Scum and Villainy. Imply, careful how implying that Firefly Go. style thing that the, the ship itself is the other character of the show. 
Yeah. Also, the ship comes with a thing called gambits, which you get per job, and gambits allow you to basically get. Uh, you can use a gambit to get an extra dice on okay. a particular roll, which is quite nice. And uh, you get gambits back if you make particularly good rolls or do particularly cool things. Uh, and there's a lot of like it doesn't have a loads of alien races and that kind of thing in it, which I quite like. You can take like a Xeno trait in character creation, and then you just describe what that is, and like you do agree with the GM what your what your alien looks like. And it's called it, it's basically it's basically sort of Firefly Millennium Falcon kind of stuff. It's it's definitely towards that yeah. side of game of um sort of sci-fi. But there's there's three different ships you can choose, and each ship is basically designed to have a different style of play. So one might be like smugglers and gunrunners, that kind of thing. The other might be rescu- rescuing people from worlds and fighting against the galactic hegemony and that kind of thing. So it's so it's Cowboy Bebop, Firefly, and someone else. So yeah, it, it just depends what you want to, to make that world into. And it's it's quite an interesting little game. There's got a lot of, uh, there's a lot of Blades, and Hack, Blades and Dark hacks coming. Like uh, They're all called Forged in the Dark. Because I backed the Kickstarter, I get access to those early... Um, uh, the other one I'm really looking forward to is there's a there's a cyberpunk one coming, but I think it's a couple of years down the line still. It probably won't be out for a long while, but I'm really looking forward to running something like that. That will be a good fun. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. D and D fifth is probably the best version of the most successful version of D and D, and I think that's been sh- I think I think that's been shown by the the explosion in Critical Role and um, people. The, the the thing that I'm hearing a lot is people basically watching Critical Role and stuff like that on Twitch. And then wanting to play D and D, which just totally blows my mind—the idea that you'd watch people play D and D—and like when you see things like at PAX Unplugged and things like that of uh, uh, of people on stage playing D and D, and like a massive auditorium of thousands of people watching them play D and D—that's just completely mind blowing. Like who would who'd ever think that that would have happened like ten um, years I, ago? I know I know it's not a new thing, but I believe Rab Florence, um, a Scottish uh, comedian and, and journalist who uh, was one half of the team that did Burniston uh, several years ago, the Scottish comedy series, he has done fringe shows where he has done maybe an hour or two and run games of D and D, and people just come and watch it. Yeah, I haven't seen any of it, but he's also got a show called Cast the Bones, which is Patreon only. Yeah. Which is meant to be very good. It's some sort of Lovecraftian take on board game reviews, which sounds very intriguing. I think, like you said, uh, Fifth Edition is a really nice edition. It takes a lot of great stuff from First Ed, Second Ed, Third Ed, 3.5, and yeah, and even Fourth. And I think the Advantage Disadvantage is a prime example of that. In Instead of, right, okay, I get plus one for flanking. But no, he's over there, and yeah. right, but I'm wielding this, and it just goes. Jim goes, nope, you've got advantage. On you go, or you've got disadvantage. Boom. I also quite like the sense of humor that uh, some of the writers have been putting into a lot of um, the fifth ed products. Every fifth ed book that has been released, there is a disclaimer uh, just in one of the front covers, and they're always a really nice little cheeky piece of text saying like, "Yeah, Wizard the of the Coast stuff, holds no responsibility for TPKs or." don't be an idiot and climb into a gaping demon mouth because you know you'll die so if you Fair if, enough, if you want a little giggle have a wee read of them because they're fantastic yeah i mean one of the well, i'd say one of the bad things about fifth from a gm's point of view is in fourth when you like looked up a monster or you could like worked up a monster for an encounter everything for that monster was on its stat block all its powers all its spells everything was there with fifth if you get a spell casting character it knows like 10 different spells and you have to go and look those up and have to make a note of them in your head. But that's always been the thing for D&D, so... Yeah, but it wasn't in 4th, that's the thing. But 4th was a very different beast in itself. It was a a game that suited itself more to a a short pay... No, sorry, a short burst dungeon crawl. 
Um, it... Yeah, I mean, I, I know a lot of people that did like more narrative stuff. No, no, that, I, that's, fi- still, that's fine. Uh, still that... had the combat encounters, but yeah, I, th- I think if they'd if they'd like had this had the monster blocks be a little bit more understandable, because yeah, having having to go and do that stuff, like a lot of the people coming back to D anD D are older and therefore don't have as much time. So yeah. it's that sort of like how much prep time do you have per per session? I think it was also just the game trying to rekindle the spirit of D&D in the age when World of Warcraft was in its massive ascendancy. Well, yeah, there was that as well. But yeah, I mean, it's a shame that 5th didn't take some of the good stuff out of 4th. But hey, like it's it, it, it's completely different from fourth. Like yeah, no, com- completely different. But what is nice to see is, for the first time since second edition, I think there's been such an um, an em- embracing of oh, other yeah. other settings as opposed to um, the Forgotten Realms. So we've got things from Morton Kynan, So that's from Greyhawk. We've got a couple of Forgotten Realms things, of course. We've had Stra- uh, Barovia, the Demiplane of Dread. We have had. We've got um, Guilds of Ravnica, which has just come out. So it's Magic the Gathering's yep. Ravnica. And there's a and guide for spe- Eberron, kind of. Uh, a Wayfarer's Guide to Eberron, which is online. And we've got pretty much Spelljammer all but confirmed because various Spelljamming monsters have shown up throughout the uh, manuals. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly been embraced forever. It's very much an addition that is trying to appeal to as many people as possible. And it do- it's done a fantastic job of that. There's no denying it. Just from my own point of view, I'm quite a lazy GM. So like <laughs> having to look up all the spells and everything like that for each monster is uh, quite annoying. I mean, yes, you know, the argument that sorcerers are still good, but they're, they're still kind of a weak niche. And the ranger in the player's handbook is a bit weak compared to other things. Uh, you can, uh, if you go on wizard's site, yes. there is yep. an updated ranger, which is much, much better. One of, one of my players is playing the updated ranger and he's, He's really good. The revised ranger, I I like as well. Um, however, if you do play the basic ranger, that's nothing to say that you can't enjoy. If you enjoy it, that's the most important part. There's just this. Yeah, you just might find him a little underpowered as you as you level. Uh, yeah, but that's by the by. It's just yeah. you know things that you hear, and I'm not you know it's it's not enough to put me off the system in any way because I think it's a great wee system and having a lot of fun with it. I've currently got a a, a bumbling monk who uh, acts a bit like Columbo. Fair enough. It's unintentional. Yeah, I've not but... got any monks. What, what have I got? I've got a, uh, I've got a wizard, a uh, ranger, a paladin, a thief, two barbarians, two slightly different barbarians. Uh, the barbarians are quite fun class, and they they can do lots of different stuff. So they can be like tanky barbarians or like uh, hitting things hard barbarians. And yeah, they're they're quite fun. One of them's a tank, and yeah, that's quite good fun. And some of the, some of the abilities like hark back to the fourth a little bit with mm-hmm. the sort of like more sort of tanker healer kind of stuff. But yeah, it's also it's also got that slight thing where like if you're a healer class, like in your if you're a healer healer class in fourth, you could do a lot of other stuff as well as heal, and the healer class is a little more focused again in fifth, which means you don't you don't quite have as much to do in combat, which is a little unfortunate. But it, it's not too bad. Like the paladins uh, we've got seems to still be able to do things like uh, in combat, which aren't just healing, which is nice. But yeah, play 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 D and D fifth. It's really quite good. One of the changes I quite enjoy is the arcane casters now having well, all casting characters having spell slots instead of yeah um, having to prepare spells during the day. So yes, you have to prepare spells, but you don't have to cast say fireball at third level. If you have a fourth level spell slot, you can have fourth you level spell there, or you could just better. or you could cast a first level spell at fourth level, and it'll just be even better. Yeah. That's quite a neat little thing. Yep, I agree. But yeah, so yeah, if you're if you're wondering about getting into role playing, D and D fifth is probably the best starting off point. Get the star set, run that. 
if you like it, then you can get into it from there. It is still quite expensive to get into fully. Like the three core books are about 120 quid RRP, yeah. uh, but you can easily get them for a bit less than that. And yeah, try roleplaying. It's great. Hi, Sam. Hello, I'm back. Well, I, I never left. I just don't have any input. Um, well, um, any other kind of small games people want to quickly touch on before we wrap up today? Uh, I played the Forest Dragon, finally. Oh, how did, like, you, how, how did you find it? Uh, I backed it last year, um, and I spoke to Johnny and Rory recently about their new game, Forest Dragon Bang Bang. It's a perfectly serviceable little um, kids game. I've, I've actually gifted it now to a mate of mine who's got two kids. Um, because I will not get as much play out of it as they will, so I, I, we gave it to them. It's it's really charming. It, it's it's good fun. It's not particularly deep as you'd expect, but it's really it's it's perfectly fun for what it is. It does exactly what it says in the tin. Uh, yeah, like I've got, I had the expansion set as well, like the poo realm and fire realm and stuff like that as well. So I just gave that to a mate of mine. I picked up the base the base game a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think as I said it's lovely, lovely serviceable little walk game. I might do the same as you and gift it to someone else because I haven't really touched it. Yeah, um, but it's I, nice I, to have. I, th- I think it's. I think. I think charm is one of those things that is underestimated when uh, underestimated when people design games. You can get away with a lot through a very charming game. I think. Yeah. Like if, yeah. if the game like really appeals to me on an aesthetic and and sort of like story level, I'm willing to forgive other stuff a, a lot more. That, that, mm. that might just be me personally, okay, but no, no. I think I think charm is just one of those things that. You can re- you can inject into your game to maybe sort of smooth over other other problems. That's fair enough. I saw to say the forest dragon has problems. I think it it does exactly what it says in the tin very well, and uh, yeah, what Rory will be one to watch because it was designed by him. Cool. So yeah, nice one. Very cool. Well, thank you very much for listening to Idle Thoughts. We will be back sometime in the new year. Have a great Christmas. Is yeah, that how we wrap Christmas this up? Everyone. Have a good Christmas, have a good Hanukkah, have a good Kwanzaa, whatever you may be celebrating this uh, this month. Yeah. Have a great time. Um, yeah, thank you very much, folks. Yes, have a great Candlemas. We shall see you in the new year. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye-bye.